Lord, we thank you that we can sing your praises. They're just not songs, God, that, that are pretty songs, Lord. Let it always be praise and adoration from the hearts of those that you've redeemed, God. We were children of wrath by nature, your word says in Ephesians, and you've quickened us and raised us up, made, made us to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. God, we are yours. We belong to you. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you tonight, God. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Make our hearts prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. I just pray, encourage you to prepare your own hearts to receive from the Lord. I pray always. You know, we only meet twice a week, really. We meet Sunday all day, and we meet on Wednesday nights. And, and there is a responsibility on each believer that we would prepare our hearts, that we would come in. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world as far as what we're going to receive from the Lord. He always wants to give us something, amen. He always wants to feed us from His Word. He says His Word does not return void. Amen. And so that means that the soil, the soil has to be prepared so that when the seed, the seed is the Word of God, that it's going to fall on good soil. That's not just for lost people getting saved. That's for bringing forth fruit in that parable as well. And so I just encourage you, even if you're at work all day and maybe you're at work until the last moment getting here for church, pray in the car, you know, pray, pray on the way here that, uh, that it doesn't take, you know, halfway through the service before you realize, oh, I'm at church. I need to dial in and, and listen to what's going on. God is so good to us, y'all. He's got so much he wants to do in us and for us and through us. And I know he desires to do, do that tonight. I'm going to give a quick, true testimony and story. Author of this book uh, quotes a whole lot from Amy Carmichael. If you don't know much about her, you can look her up and find out more about her. Wonderful woman of God that served the Lord in different countries, but primarily she's known for her the years of service in India and taking in uh, abused children and orphans and, and people that were cast out from their families, a lot of girls especially, and one of the girls that was brought there, uh, that got saved, her name was Star, at least that's her English name that was given her. She had a sister named Mimosa. And Mimosa, uh, when the dad saw how, how Star had come to know Christ and serve the Lord, and, it was, and ended up going to a missionary school, he wanted to get his other daughter out of there. Being a Hindu, he wanted the younger daughter to have no part of this. So. Mimosa only heard one brief little sermon in her whole life before she was yanked away from there. She heard about the love of the Savior and that God so loved that he, he gave this wonderful plan of redemption through her son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and rising again. But she was, she was taken away from the school very quickly. And uh, her sister went on to be a missionary for... 22 years or something something in that regards. But this woman, uh, Mimosa, just lived an extremely hard life. She was shuffled off from place to place. She was uh, hated by her father. She was finally basically sold off into a marriage that she wanted nothing to do with and, and terribly mistreated. Uh, her husband was lazy and didn't work and she would work all day in, the, in fields and reaping crops and so forth to pay for the needs of her lazy husband, basically. And uh, she would cry aloud, aloud to the Lord that she didn't really even know, that she just heard about to have mercy. She had heard so little. And uh, 
she was publicly humiliated by her father, and they said there's whatever the, the terminology is for this public humiliation, there's not a, a words or phrase in English to correlate with it. It would be the greatest of all shames to where she couldn't go out in public and she was basically marked and branded for whatever by, by her father. And she began to cry out to the Lord and ran into another Christian who simply said, it was even a lukewarm Christian at the time, who simply said, in every, in every least thing, the Lord will wonderfully guide you. So she's this her two little son that she's heard in her life at this point. And she cried out to the Lord, and the Lord came, and the Lord saved her, and the Lord helped her. And she, she took courage in the Lord, even though her circumstances had not changed. She's still married to the same man, same public, uh, public humiliation, and so forth. But she took heart and courage in the Lord. She forgave all those that had wronged her. That's more than a lot of Christians do that have been in church for years. Amen. She slept well at night because the Bible said the Lord gives his beloved sleep. She accepted all that was her lot, basically, in life as being from her father in heaven. And she said, whatever you do, Lord, is good. Now, that's a maturity beyond me in a lot of areas, a lot, beyond a lot of us, I would say. And we're going to talk about specifically in our study on the cross, the cross in the life of the believer. Remember, our two main thoughts is dying to sin and dying to self. And I think self will be the hardest thing to really die to. Because we might be good and moral as Christians and still be very selfish. Still have, have a lot of self in our that's preeminent. Even if we've learned over years to cover it, to hide it, to disguise it, to maybe to others. Uh, a lot of self that needs to be brought to the cross. The cross is an instrument of death. That's all it is. It's not some magical thing. It's it, Jesus died on the cross and he died unto sin once. And then he liveth unto God forevermore. And we are to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're talking about the cross. We're not talking about literally going up to a cross nailing ourselves to it. That's nothing that's physical. The work is a spiritual work, and it is a work of dying to self. Okay? The more uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase, right? He must increase. And that's really the picture of the Christian life from salvation on. From salvation on. There is a working of God, and the Bible says that he has chosen to refine his people I believe the scripture is specifically speaking of Israel, but we see that with people in general. God has chosen to refine his people through the furnace of what? Joys? Through the furnace of blessings? Furnace of blessings through the furnace of affliction is what the scriptures say. doesn't mean we're not blessed and have joy unspeakable. It means that that's God's refining tool is afflictions and trials and adversities. He will show us his faithfulness in the midst of it. He won't always get us out. I would say he never will get us out as quickly as we want. Okay? Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all, is what the Bible says. But it's never as quickly as we want. We want out as soon as we get in. And God says, no, I sent you here for a purpose of something I want to accomplish in your life. So we're talking tonight about afflictions and suffering. Again, I'm not, you know, I don't believe in 
in bringing suffering upon ourselves. We don't go hurt ourselves to hurt ourselves. We don't go deprive ourselves just to deprive ourselves when the Holy Spirit is not, nor the Word of God has led us to do that. But when something comes our way from the Lord, we need to be able to receive it like this young Indian lady did and recognize this is from the Lord. He has a purpose in it. He has a plan in it. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, remember? He had a thorn in his flesh, specifically, he says, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, but he didn't go and talk to the devil about it. He went and talked to the Lord about it, and the Lord gave him the reason for it, and, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Well, he had to learn that. It couldn't just be a phrase from the Lord. God had to bring this thorn in his flesh. A lot of people think it was blindness, May or may not have been. We don't know that for a fact. But he had a thorn in his flesh. So his physical body, like we have, there was some ailment that he besought the Lord three times to take from him. But it was not taken from him. He went to the Lord about it. And God gave him a lesson. A life lesson. And once he saw the life lesson, oh, praise God, I'd rather glory in this, you know, in, in the sickness that the glory and the grace of God would rest upon me. And so he got it. He understood it. I would say for you and for me tonight, we need to get it. We need to learn whatever trial we're going through. I know I mentioned it that years ago I preached a sermon about don't waste your trials. You know, if, if, there's, if God is allowing you as a believer or me to go through a trial, we love the Lord. He loves us. We know we're his child. Every good thing comes from the Lord and so forth. And my God is allowing me to get prostate cancer or my God is allowing me to go through financial difficulties, or my Lord, my Lord is letting me go through something where family members may forsake me or want nothing to do with me, I need to say, okay, God, I see it. It hurts. It's painful. But I need to see your hand in it all. There's, it's not pointless. It's only pointless if we let it be pointless. And... God wants it to not be pointless. Amen? So we need to discern or see in our suffering as believers in our lives what is from the Lord and then, and then allow the Lord to change us. I think a lot of times, I really believe this. I know God's sovereign. I don't limit the sovereignty of God. But a lot of times I think we'll stay in a situation of trials or turmoils or adversity longer or shorter based on our response to the Lord, to our brokenness, to our surrender, to our yieldedness to God, to, to where we become spiritually minded instead of carnally minded, and we see what the Lord's trying to teach us and show us. Self dies hard, okay? Self dies hard. It does not want to give up easy. And so... Uh, this, this lady, Mimosa, said, I accept the will of my God as good and acceptable and perfect for loss or for gain. Whatever, whatever the Lord's wanting to do. And so um, many people, and I've, I've run across believers like this, and I'm not going to uh, ridicule or mock, but I've run across believers that I know love Jesus with all their heart, and they see every single sickness, every single adversity, every trial, Every flat tire, you know, everything that happened in their life is being from the devil. And I don't believe that. 
I don't see that in scripture, that everything is from the devil. In other words, people resist. I'm not going to confess that I'm sick, even though they've got 104 fever. I don't, there's a negative confession. I'm not going to confess that. That's just from the devil. I'm going to resist the devil. Maybe the Lord wants you to slow down and get your attention. He lets you get sick. Or uh, you're used to working 40 hours a week and you're cut down to 30 hours a week or 20 hours a week. And you think this is just of the devil trying to rob my finances. Well, it may or may not be. I think the first thing we need to do is find out. But if it's the Lord, maybe he's wanting you to slow down and take more time with him. You're always saying, I never have time to get into my Bible and study. I don't have time to go to the prayer meetings. I don't have time to do this or that or, or prepare a Sunday school lesson or whatever. Maybe God's trying to teach us something. So I think we make, a, we make ourselves a nervous wreck. And I do think it's unscriptural to think that every adversity in our lives. We're in, a, we're in a sinful world, y'all. You know, we have bodies that break down, like we talk about all the time. One day we'll be redeemed and glorified. But we have adversities in our lives. And if we will let them work, let God, let, let, let's look at this. I wouldn't plan on reading it, but turn to James chapter 1. During all the COVID stuff early on, we had an online Bible study for the men that Eric uh, Cheney led, and we talked through the book of James. I want you to look at James chapter 1. Verse 3. James 1, 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptation there really means trial or testing. Not necessarily a temptation to sin. It's not an enticement from the devil. The devil wants to entice you to sin, to disobey God, to transgress against God, to fall into sin, to get uh, into bondage to sin, to ruin your testimony, to turn from Christ, all those things. The devil is always busy doing that. He is doing that. But that's not what he's talking about. Here we would count that joy. He says, brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse trials or, or testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience, let is a verb. That means there's something I have to do. Might look like a pretty passive word, but it is an action word. It is something that I'm instructed to do. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect. That means mature in the Lord and entire or complete, lacking nothing. That's God's purpose. We have to understand the purpose of Almighty God in the trial. E even if it was Satan coming against our lives, it was a messenger from the devil that the Lord allowed to come to Paul in the form of a, of a physical ailment. Paul did not submit to the devil, even though he was the instrument Paul didn't submit to the devil and say, I just resign, I yield to the devil, whatever he wants to do to my body, to my life. He didn't do that. He yielded to God. And there's a difference. Even if God's wanting to allow Satan, I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty uh, dramatic. The Lord's letting Satan come against one of his children that he's redeemed and has a tremendous calling upon Paul's life. He's allowing Satan to go this far and do what he's doing. 
Paul doesn't submit to the devil. Again, so this is very important. Every trial is not from the devil, even if the devil is the one that the Lord may be allowing to, to come against us. Believe me, God's around. He's still protecting us. He doesn't give us over to the devil. Neither should we give ourselves over to the devil. So I'm not advocating at all. You just surrender over to your trial, no matter what the source is. I think the key that I see in scriptures is that we're wise. Because if you keep reading in James, he's talking about counting joy when you fall into trials. Let these trials work in your life. And the very next verse, God says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We have to have wisdom in our trials. That is paramount. You can go through a trial as a believer and learn nothing. You might learn nothing for years. And putting yourself unnecessarily in some prolonged trial because we're not waking up and getting it. You know what we should do? We should pray. We should fast. We should turn aside. Like Moses did at the burning bush. I never seen anything like this. A bush burning, it's not consumed. He took time, he turned, turned aside. He says, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to think on this for a little while. And then God began to speak to him. When we're going through a trial, which we go through many, some are more severe than others. Amen? When we go through trials, we need to instantly turn to God. Mm -hmm. Let's say turn to your church necessarily, your pastor, and all those things are wonderful. But we need to learn how to turn to God. And we need to find, learn to find an answer from the Lord. Say, I see what's happening, Lord, but help me to see what you see. I mean, I see the natural, the adversity or the sickness or the trial or my friends forsaking me or uh, gossip that's being spread about me. Sure, the devil's in there somewhere. There's no doubt about it. Somebody's gossiping all over town about you and running your, trying to ruin your reputation. We don't submit to God or to that and accept lies as being true or anything like that. But we can say, Lord, uh, I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm going to learn what you're trying to teach me from this. I've lost my three best Christian friends. I'm just making this up. They, they're gone. But you didn't leave me. That's one of these things this, this Indian woman said. All these people have betrayed me. She said, my mother betrayed me. My husband betrayed me. My father betrayed me. She said, but in all this, you didn't betray me. Mm, thank you. It's amazing she learned that much depth of, of God through these, the little bit she was exposed to of Christ in Christianity. But praise God, she did get it. Amen. And so I want us to turn in our Bibles to uh, to Job chapter 2. We're just going to read one verse this morning. Let me see. Job chapter 2. So I don't have to explain to everybody the, the background or the story of Job and what he's going through. You know, the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect. That simply means he was mature in the Lord and upright and one that feared God and shunned evil. Okay, and so Satan comes up before the Lord. We know the story says, and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Wow, what an honor to be the man that God brings up. So have you thought about my servant, Job? 
you come up here bringing all these accusations against people and all that you're wanting to do. And we know the story. The Lord allows him to severely afflict Job to take from him. The Lord allows it. Says all that he has is in your hand, but don't touch his life. And he takes all that is in his hand. Takes his possessions, and he was very wealthy because God had blessed him. And he takes his his children from him. And and yet Job still hangs in there, so to speak. Job still keeps his eyes on the Lord. He didn't like it. He didn't understand it at the beginning. Okay? But he didn't sin and abandon God. The thing that was being tested was his faith in the living God. And he kept his faith in God. He, when he had a complaint, he went to God. You know what I mean? He poured out his heart to the Lord. And, and then the, Satan comes and tempts him again. I mean, tests him again. Goes before the Lord. And the Lord says, you've got to spare his life. You know, Satan says, if I can afflict his body, he'll curse you to your face. God says, do what you want, but you've got to spare his life. So he brings boils and sicknesses to his body. And he's, on, he's sick and he's scraping boils from his body with broken part, parts of a potter, pottery. And he's sitting in an ash heap, basically. And he's even unre physically unrecognizable to his friends. The ruin that's come to his circumstances, to his life. Um, when his friends first saw him, I think they didn't uh, recognize him. But I want us to look at Job 2, verse 10. Well, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now that, that you do resist. You know, he says you don't resist every trial and thing like that. We yield to the Lord. That is the devil's fault. I mean, I can't say directly that was Satan speaking to the woman. I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say that thought, just like with Peter, when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be taken by the hands of the, the Pharisees and priests and crucified. The third day I'll rise again. And Peter said, far, far be that from you, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. Get thee behind me, Satan. That was the response. You don't submit to that. Because that is coming against faith in Almighty God. That is coming contrary to the Word of God. Don't submit to that and say, oh, I'm just submitting to God. If this woman says, curse God and die... And he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women, speaketh, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil or, or, or trials? Should we receive only the blessings from the Lord, and not receive anything that's painful or adverse, or suffer any kind of loss at the hand of God? It says, In all these things did not Job sin with his lips. Doesn't mean he wasn't a sinner. In this, he, he kept his eyes on the Lord. In this, Satan was unsuccessful. And uh, again, I think it's very important. He did not understand why the trials came to him. You read all the whole book of Job. He's got these three friends, and then a fourth comes in later, and none of them got it right. They were his friends, okay? But he says, Miserable counselors are you all. <laughs> They didn't help him at all, okay? They didn't help him at all. They accused him falsely of things that were untrue. 
Basically, in a nutshell, they were all saying, this has to be because of some sin in your life. It has to be because you mistreated treated the widows and the orphans and you've been selfish and, you know, all these kind of things you've done. And it's just the opposite of, of his life. And yet he's just sitting there having to be hammered with all that. And yet in that, he still didn't sin against God. He didn't understand it. He questioned. He complained. He even said, I wish I'd never been born. But never did he sin against God and walk away from the Lord. And however long that trial was, I really don't know how long it was. But God turned it around. We know the story or the, the account. God turned it around and even spoke to his friends and says, I want you to go. You, you go ask my servant Job to pray for you. I mean, what vindication the Lord did that. You go, you all spoke wrongly of my servant Job. Go ask him to pray for you and I'll forgive you. But God, God had to show him and tested him because there was something he wanted back out of Job's life. And, and we talk about it all the time. What did God, in the ultimate grand scheme of things, why did he allow Job to go through this adversity? Is it because he hated Job? No. Was it because he was just steeped in sin and a hypocrite and walking in rebellion? No. He knew the Lord. He feared God. He walked with God. He served God. And God was trying to test his faith that it would come forth as pure gold, right? Right in the furnace. He does the same thing for your life. I've not heard of anybody that's gone through exactly what this man went through, but he does test us, and he tests some very severely, severe testings of the Lord. And it's just so important that we, we discern this is of Satan, I'm not yielding to Satan. The Bible says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Doesn't mean he won't try to come back or come back. But we need to know the difference between submitting to the devil or submitting to the Lord in our trial. God is trying to help me. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. He has no other agenda. He can paint, paint the picture any way he wants to. That's all he wants to do for your life. Steal, kill, destroy. God has come and we have life and have more abundantly. So if I'm going through a trial in the hands of God and in the will of God, it is for ultimately for my benefit, for my faith to be strengthened, and for the glory of God, mm -hmm. the way that I come through it. We need to learn that. We need to know it. And so uh, think about it. The, the, the Lord can use, and we see it all through the Bible, the Lord can use evil governments, evil kings and rulers. All through the Bible, the Lord used Pharaoh, right? In the Old Testament to bring this affliction upon the, the, the people of God that were in bondage there. The Lord used Nebuchadnezzar to, to bring judgment on Israel. And that specific individual people like Daniel that had to suffer because of that. You don't submit to Nebuchadnezzar in the sense of, his full will, whatever he wants, we see this is of God. This is a judgment. Or whatever it may be, we have to learn and understand. We don't submit to the devil ever. We submit to God always. Amen? Always. And so, Amy Carmichael said this, there's no strength to resist the, the ravaging lion, that's the devil, as he prowls about seeking whom he may devour, unless 
our own hearts have learned to submit to God's will in our own lives and everything. There's no sense in trying to say, I bind you, Satan, I bind you, Satan, I resist you from my life, the spirit of cold, the spirit of infirmity, the spirit, you know, whatever, poverty. I'm not ridiculing that. There's no sense in trying to resist the devil if we have not first submitted to God in everything. Because our strength is, doesn't lie in ourselves. It doesn't even lie in our Christianity. Our strength is the Lord. Mm -hmm. I will love the Lord my strength. Mm -hmm. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so, we can rebuke the devil all we want, shout at him and curse at him and everything else, but if we're not yielded to God in something He's told us to yield to Him to, turn off that TV show that you're watching. Stop listening to that music that you listen to all the time. Stop hanging out with those ungodly friends and that leads you astray from God and have no intention of serving God. And he's already told us that, and yet we're wanting to rebuke the devil to devour from off of our lives. It's pointless. Surrender to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's very important. And so uh, we have to resign to the place where, uh, where we can say, like Jesus in the garden, your will be done, right? And I like the way Amy Carmichael put it here. She says, when we say, okay, I submit to your will, God, it can't be some, as she put it, sluggish, sleepy resignation to the inevitable, but in a positive spirit of cooperation with the Lord, actively willing what he wills to be done. Mm -hmm. So it's not just saying, okay, I give up. I know it's going to be miserable. Just do whatever you want to do, God. And we're like bitter about it. You understand what I'm saying? Just you know, whatever, whatever, God, go and take my children from me, go on and do this, take my job from me, take my reputation, I don't care, but you really do care, you're just mad and you're bitter. That's not surrendering to the will of God. Surrendering to the will of God would say, you're the, my eternal God and Father and my good shepherd, and like David said in the Psalms, thou art good and doest good. And so, Lord, though I don't see it now, I don't understand it, I don't, I don't get it, just like Job, I'm surrendering to your will. I'm surrendering into your hands. That's where I want to be. I'm not bolting out the door. I'm not leaving God. I'm not leaving my prayer life. I'm not leaving Christianity. I'm not just saying, okay, do it. I'll hate it, but do whatever you want to do, God. Like he's going to beat us down like Pharaoh's taskmasters. Submitting to the will of God even if we don't understand it. Submit, submitting to the will of God when it looks dark and we can't quite see it clearly, and, and yet it, it might even look scary, and yet we know it's the Lord. Mm -hmm. To surrender to that and see what the Lord can do. He's going to do something mighty. I can't tell you what He's going to do. i got to do the same surrender myself. But, but we can see what He's going to do, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. I want you to turn your Bibles and read. Read. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter eleven. Matthew eleven twenty-five and twenty-six. At that time, Jesus answered and said, "I thank thee." He's praying. People are hearing him, but he's praying. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good 
in thy sight. What I gather from this is the same thought, Old Testament and New Testament, in Jeremiah and in Romans, that he's the potter, we're the clay. Okay? God chose for it to be this way. What is he talking about in verse 25? There's spiritual truth that he brought forth, and the ones who should have got it thought they were so wise, the scribes, the Pharisees, the who's who, they thought they were spiritually wise and close to God, but they didn't know God. Jesus said, you're your father the devil. All right? So basically, they were because of their pride, the spiritual truth of Christ and who he was and what he was teaching and his purpose in coming was hidden from them, the wise and the prudent. All right? I would say they weren't really wise, but self-professing wise. Okay? And then he says, you've revealed it unto babes. Little people are just... Uh, regular folks, okay? They're sinners and they know they're sinners. And Jesus comes along and tells them, I can save you from their sin. And a lot of them rejoiced in that. You know what I mean? They weren't pretending to be something. They were babes. And God could speak to them for the most part. That was God's choice. It says, even so, Father, verse 26, for so it seemed good in thy sight. I shared this uh, <coughs> account that I read years, many years ago in an F.B. Meyer book, there was a, a, a Christian orphanage, and in this orphanage there was a there was a deaf child, and they were the, the kids were gathered together and had a Christian speaker come to speak to them one day, and that, that whatever the message was, so they're having a sign language for some of the students, including this young boy. And somebody asked him, the little boy, he threw, it, threw, a, threw a sign language because he was deaf, does it make you angry against God? Or do you question God or get bitter against God because you were born deaf and all these other children can hear? And he got a piece of chalk and wrote on the board, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Now, that little boy, like this mimosa lady in India, he got it. He understood. He's not submitting to the devil. God could give him hearing anytime he wanted. And I'm sure he prayed for hearing. But the point is, he understood. This was the Lord's doing. This was the Lord's choice. This was the Lord's choice. There's a purpose in it. Maybe he would have never come to know the Lord. Maybe he would have been self-confident. Who knows? God knows in his infinite wisdom. But that's a true story. And it's a good story because it makes such a good point. Mimosa, later in her life, she came to where she could really serve the Lord and came to the orphanage. And, I mean, came to the place where Amy Carmichael was later in life. She said she learned when she went through all of her trials for years, terrible trials. She said she learned that when relief did not always come at once, peace did. Relief didn't always come, but peace always came. And she went on to say, isn't that really more important? I would say amen to that. Relief didn't always come. Y'all, in this life, the Bible says we're going to have tribulations. It's not a curse. It's a curse of sin that we live in this fallen world. But it is the nature of life on this earth that's lost and already cursed and going to be judged in refined one day. 
So if we live our life wanting to be trial-free, that's not going to happen until we get to heaven. If we live in life thinking, I can't be happy, joyful, at peace, have rest, feel like I'm close to God or anything like that, unless I'm trial-free, then we've misunderstood the scriptures. That's why this prosperity gospel doesn't work. Because it's not true. Just name it, claim it, prosperity. You know, I'm gonna like like uh, Paul Yungi Cho, you know, I'm gonna sit and we need to learn the principles of the of the Eastern Hindus and so forth. They've known it for years. You need to meditate and incubate some thought in your mind is the way he puts it, and, and then it'll come to pass. Because you meditated on it enough in your mind. He gives the example that he prayed and prayed for a bicycle one time and he didn't get it. And he said, Lord, why didn't you get my bicycle? I'm like, you said if we ask anything, the Lord says, well, you got to tell me what color you want. I mean, this is nonsense. It's nonsense. I'm not going to learn anything from a Hindu except we're all sinners in need of grace. I can learn that from a Hindu. And I'm not making fun of a Hindu. I'm simply saying our eyes have been open to the truth. He uses, Paul Yogi Cho uses Abraham receiving the promised child Isaac. That what Abraham did was incubate that thought in his mind till he created and spoke his own reality into being. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's shamanism. You understand what I'm saying? That's nothing to do with trust in the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 4 that Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. That Abraham believed uh, that it was going to be even as the Lord told him it was going to be. Abraham believed what God spoke to his life. And he hoped against hope and hung on and he received the promise. That's different, isn't it? That's true faith in God. And so my, my point is that when relief didn't always come from her trials, at once peace always came. That's when you're learning. That's when I'm learning. When the child of God is learning. Doesn't mean it's the last trial you'll ever have. He'll try to teach you something else. But I would say that with the men and women of God that, are, that we're notable, you know, that we talk about, what they did learn is they learned it early on. They learned it quickly to where they weren't caught off guard the next time a trial came. We don't want to have to start back in kindergarten every time a trial comes to our life. There has to be some real progress. There has to be some real growing up and maturing. Yes, he's a God of grace. Yes, if I sin, God will forgive me a thousand times a thousand when I repent. But I want to learn. I want to grow. If you saw me 10 years from now, I pray I'm not where I am now with Jesus. I pray there's some notable growth in my life. I pray I love more. You understand what I'm saying? I pray that I'm more patient. I pray that I trust God more. There's lots of things. And I pray the same for your lives. And so I'm going to be uh, bringing this to a close. But this, this lady, Mimosa, goes on to say, she took it for granted that the Lord could heal. But she said, quote, in acceptance lies peace. And that peace was much more important. Just a couple more thoughts. Job went through the valley, you'd have to say, right? He went through a valley like, other than Christ, I mean, I, I don't know of a human being, personally, that I can read about, that experienced the loss that he did so, uh, such a grand scale, and so quickly. 
all of this was happening literally within a few moments. It's not even just like he died. If he didn't die, he'd be going to heaven. But he was still living and all this happened to him. You know what I mean? And so Job went through this valley of loss, even the sickness to his body and this disease upon him. And he did not come out with the smell of smoke. The way the author of this book puts it, he didn't come out with the smell of self. So I've been all around tonight, but this is really what we're talking about. The cross and suffering and dying to self. So think about it just a moment. We're going to close. But the, the three Hebrew boys, I know that you know the story, taken captive into Babylon. They refused to bow down to the 90-foot idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up in the open plain. All of his leaders, all of his people were to bow down to worship. They did not. They refused. They trusted God. They were thrown into the furnace of affliction. They knew God could save them. They weren't sure because they didn't. God hadn't shown them beforehand. Then I, hey, look, go on and get in that fire. I'm going to get you right out and everything's going to be fine. He didn't tell them that. They just trusted God, period. King, our God can deliver us, but whether or not he delivers us from that fire, he's going to deliver us out of your hands. We're not submitting to you and to your idolatry. Our eternity is submitted to the king of kings. And they're thrown in the fire. The king looks in. You know the story. It's a wonderful story. I hate to use the word story because it's an account. It's a historical account. The king looks in the fire and he sees a fourth man who looks like the son of God. And he never met the son of God. Thank you. But he knew that was him when he saw him. Amen. And he told them to come up out of here. And they come up out of the fire. And they did, their hair wasn't singed. I don't know how many times I've been barbecued and I put too much water fluid on there, threw the match on it, flames up and burns hair halfway up my arm. And it stinks. You know, I'm rubbing it off. Burnt hair doesn't smell good. You know, and uh, nothing really hurt me, just, you know, like, what, how stupid can I be to do that again? And they came out, their clothes didn't smell like fire, their hair wasn't singed. I loved it. The only thing that was burned was what? I don't know. The ropes that had been bound, they were burnt off, and they were fine. And it says, neither was the smell of smoke upon them. And there is something about that. You know what that one thing we can learn from that is that you can go through a trial and stink. As a Christian, we love God. I'm not saying you're not saved or I'm not saved. We go through a trial and everybody knows it. And our chin's dragging the ground. And everybody knows you're going through a trial. And everybody knows that, that uh, you know, Sister Susie is going through the worst thing in her life. And as soon as they walk in, they're the center of attention. And everybody turns to Sister Susie. But there might be Sister Julie over there that's going through something ten times worse. And she's trusting God and she's praising God. And her hands are lifted up and she's praising the Lord. Which one would you rather be? Which one would you rather be? Are you going to be the one that smells like smoke? Am I saying that nobody should ever go know that you're going through a, a sickness or you've got a trial or you got paid off your job? I'm not saying that. God gives people in our life to know that. But the way we conduct ourselves, the way we handle ourselves, the way that we don't have to be the center of attention and we walk into a room, I've seen it with youth, 
I've seen it at every age, male and female. They walk in the church, they walk in the Bible study, they walk in the room, and they are the center of attention because of their, their pitiful state that they're in. There's somebody right next to them who's praying for them is going through something way worse than they are. And maybe because I'm a pastor, I know what they're both going through, but you can see the difference. And I thank God for people that know us and can pray for trials that we go through. Don't get me wrong, we, we, we've been to our prayer meetings, you know how we pray. But my point is that we don't want to smell like smoke. Job didn't smell like smoke because he didn't smell like self. When the thing was over, he went and prayed for his friends. He wasn't looking to get vengeance. He wasn't looking to get vengeance on God. So I want to close with this. You know what Job said as God was bringing him out of this trial? I abhor myself. Not uh, like modern day, you need to esteem yourself. You need to love yourself, respect yourself, forgive yourself, esteem yourself. Another seven of them I forgot that Rick Warren has, and they're unbiblical. Job went through it and he said, I abhor myself. When he saw God, I abhor myself, and therefore I repent. And then guess what? When we abhor ourselves, he's not smelling like smoke anymore. It's not Job and his poor trial. It's him and himself saying, I'm worthy of this stuff I'm going through. God, you're totally just in letting me go through what I went through. Bing. There's a maturity there. There's a, there's a, a realization there. There's a revelation there. And he didn't smell like smoke because he didn't smell like self. And God, I forgot, he turned the captivity or his blessings around and ended up blessing him with more than he had in the latter end than his early days. All his friends that left him and all his family that left him because Job must be cursed when he was going through his trial, when God blessed him, they all came back to him. And he had more in the end than he did before this ever took place. You understand that it's important, y'all, that we, we don't smell like smoke, and the smoke is going to be our flesh. Where, okay, lost people can do it, Christians are good at it too. Walk in a room and I'm going to be the center of attention and everybody's going to come up to me and give me things and do things for me because I'm going through a trial. If, if God wants that to happen, let him do it. He can speak to people that know you and love you and are praying for you and show them that. I just think that's, that's, that's very important. I'm, I'm just going to close with that thought. The, the end of our trials, y'all, is to be for God's glory. It's to be for God's glory. And God wants us to go through it and trust Him. I'm not saying it's easy. I've been through some very difficult things in my life. There are people in this room that have been through things more difficult than I've been through. But you know, it's not a contest to see whose trial is the biggest. We all go through trials. We go through what God lets us go through. And He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to trust him. The Lord really loved Job, and he let Job go through that. The Lord really loved Paul, and he had a thorn in his flesh. The Lord really loved his son Jesus, and he allowed him to go to the cross. That was the will of the Father. That was his will. And Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, 
God, I'm humble myself before you, Lord, to preach something like this as though I don't ever want it to be the thought that I have arrived at this place. Lord, I'm being taught. I do want to learn. You have taught me many things, and I, I know that I have much to learn. Even today, Lord, there's things that I had to lay at the foot of the cross, things that are dear to me, that I had to lay at the foot of Jesus and say, oh, Lord, take them. I'll put them in your hands. And I'm going to trust you with these things. And there will be others. God, I pray for your people here tonight. I pray you strengthen your people, the children, the adults. God, I pray you would strengthen us in our faith. We would, we would go through trials and we wouldn't get bitter. And we wouldn't come through trials smelling like smoke. Certainly we can ask people to pray for us. We ought to ask people to pray for us. But Lord, there's an attitude and a demeanor, God, that shows that we're trusting God. And there's an attitude that shows uh, we're just wanting people to feel sorry for us. And we don't want that. We're blessed. We're blessed beyond measure. Help us, God, by the working of the Holy Ghost in our lives and by the power of the cross, Lord, to not only die to sin, but to die to ourselves. <laughs> that you might live in us fully. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Father, I pray for you going through in this room right here. It's probably everyone, but those that are going through testings, trials, afflictions, adversities at the hand of their Savior, I pray, God, that you would strengthen and help your people. I pray our faith wouldn't fail. I pray like Job and all this, we wouldn't sin with our lips against Almighty God. I pray you strengthen our faith and make us a strong people. Strong in the Lord, strong in the Word, strong in prayer, strong in the faith, God, and able to help others.